0: Okay, let's see. I just woke up. Gonna go check my email here. What's this? Let's see what's in this. This looks like
1: an interesting email. What's this? Dear Mr. Sir, request for assistance strictly confidential. Hmm. I am Dr. Bukare Tunde, the cousin of Nigerian astronaut Air Force Major Abacha Tunde.
0: Oh, wow. Okay, I did not expect this. Sounds important. All right, what's this?
1: He was the first African in space when he made a secret flight to the Salyut-6 space station in
0: 1979. Yeah, yeah, that uh, that
1: sounds right to me, yeah. He was later on a Soviet spaceflight Soyuz T-16Z to the secret Soviet military space station Salyut-8T in 1989. He was stranded there in 1990 when the Soviet Union was dissolved. My gosh, that is that is unfortunate. His other Soviet crew members returned to Earth, but his place was taken up by return cargo. There have been occasional supply flights to keep him going since that time. He is in good humor, but wants to come home. In the 14 years since he has been on the station, he has accumulated flight pay and interest amounting to almost 15 million American dollars, held in a trust at the Lagos National Savings and Trust Association.
0: Oh, man, I I could really use some more American dollars. I I wonder whether he'd be willing to share some of that. I'm going to keep reading here.
1: If we can access this money, we can bring him back to Earth. I'm told this will cost $3 American dollars. We need your assistance. Sure, sure. Uh, How can I help? Consequently, my colleagues and I are willing to transfer the total amount to your account. Needless to say, the trust reposed on you at this juncture is enormous. In return, we have agreed to offer you 20% of the transferred sum.
0: Oh, man, this sounds... Uh, just wait until I tell my boss why I'm quitting. This is my lucky day.
1: Kindly expedite action as we are behind schedule to enable us include down payment in this financial quarter. Please acknowledge the receipt of this message via my direct number, two three four zero nine two three four two 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 zero only. Yours sincerely, Dr. Bukhari Tunde.
0: Okay, uh, let's see. Uh, done and done. I just got to send off this uh, payment. All right, now I just got to sit back, relax, and wait for my big payday.
1: Hello, and it's another episode of the Wild Truth Chase podcast with myself, Nira Shah, and my co-host, Nick Schaefer.
0: What's going on? I like on? how you you change it up a little bit week I, to I'm, week.
1: I'm trying to I'm trying to vary the the intros there just so that it, it gets a bit there's a bit more excitement at the start of the podcast. Yeah, we're unpredictable here. <laughs> exactly, that's right. So this is another installment in our season about scamming, and before we get to today's episode. There are some things from the previous episode to quickly discuss. And Nick, do you want to tell tell us a little bit about a question that we asked in that previous episode?
0: The open-ended question that we asked is, who is your favorite person that some people might say is a scammer? So as a reminder, last time we talked about YouTube gurus, mostly, and other types of fake gurus. And it is a kind of blurry line, and I mentioned somebody who I read their book and A lot of people think that he's a scammer and because of my unfamiliarity with the subject, I could still learn something despite the fact that he may be a scammer or some people would consider him to be a scammer. So I put it to our audience, who is your favorite person that some other people might say is a scammer? And very grateful for the listener who wrote in and gave a specific answer to this because it takes some bravery to even admit to liking someone that other people might consider to be a scammer. So This person wrote in with two different people that they pay attention to sometimes, although they caveated it. So they said they're, they're both listening to Sven Carlin, who's a value investor and, and someone named Peter Schiff. And what they were careful to note that they don't just take everything that these people say at face value. They try to filter it for whatever they perceive to be these people's bias and then extract value from,
1: from whatever's left over. So it, it is Swen Carlin PhD. <laughs> so, but as we'll discuss later, there is a, a sort of implication of authority there and Peter Schiff, actually I went onto his channel and he has quite a, like a introduction, like quite a cool introduction video of himself of, of being all on these TV channels and such, which also lends him a, an air of authority.
0: Yeah. That's an appeal to authority, right? Yeah. We're, exactly. we're going to learn about that today. Yeah, so. that's, that's right.
1: We also did have a snow question, which was, have you ever paid for an online course related to making money? And we had three votes and they were all no. So actually, in contrast to, I think there was a question in the very first podcast about have you ever been scammed? And there was a 50, 50% um, response rate there. Yeah. The people listened. Last week they well they haven't been at least they haven't been scammed with fake online courses. They may have been scammed in other ways.
0: Yeah. So overall our audience seems to be low on the I would say either greed and or desperation scale. They haven't gone to that length to try to make money or maybe they're just not very gullible. And so they're they're not gonna fall for Ty Lopez's Lambo Lambo book scam
1: <laughs> here in my garage. Okay, so on to the the topic of today's episode, which is the psychology of scamming. And I guess there's two sides to the psychology of scamming. One is the psychology of the scammers themselves, and one is the psychology of the victims. So both myself and Nick, we've been reading different sources on this. Nick, do you wanna tell us a little bit about your source?
0: This week, I read most of a a book called The Psychology of Fraud, Persuasion, and Scam Techniques by Martina Dove. And I picked it up on the basis of it just being an obvious fit for our theme this season. And I have to say, I was not disappointed. It's been very relevant. And there are a lot of topics that overlap with the things we're planning on talking about this season. And so a lot of the analysis that I'm going to Bring today will be in part derived from this book called *The Psychology of Fraud, Persuasion, and Scam Techniques* by Martina Dove.
1: Cool. And from my side, I read a report written by the psychology department at the University of Exeter in the UK, and it was commissioned by the Office of Fair Trading. The report was published in 2009, and it was called *The Psychology of Scams: Provoking and Committing Errors of Judgment*. I've not made it all the way through there; that's quite a long report, but it it has been. It has been quite revealing, I would say, in terms of the psychology of of scams, mostly from the victim's perspective.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned that we want to talk about both the psychology and circumstances of the fraudsters themselves and also of the victims, what makes victims susceptible. But I think what was interesting to me is just Martina in her book, she spends a lot of time talking about things that are not obviously directly related to scamming. They're just things of general interest like communication and psychology and sales techniques. And I think what this really made me realize is that it's a blurry line here. Like in trying to understand fraud and scams, a base layer of knowledge about human psychology and what drives our thinking and our decision-making is necessary because frauds and scams are just part of a bigger picture of human interaction.
1: Yeah. And the uh, so I think it is a very blurred line because... One of the things that this report stated was there's very little difference between the way scams are marketed versus the way legitimate products are marketed as well. And I think that it's in the same sense that it that they, they fall back on general parts of communication, psychology, how to persuade people, get them to act the way you want them to act. Yeah, so that was yeah, a really interesting part of, of the report. I, I haven't really looked in too much into the marketing of scams and, and how they may differ from real products. And maybe, yeah, like you said, just not that much
0: yeah i mean it's obvious in retrospect but uh, before the actual scam occurs selling a real product and selling a scam offer are in some sense like they're indistinguishable right so you're trying to you're trying to sell an offer and the what happens later is what really distinguishes a scam from either like an actually good opportunity to buy something or get some services or being scammed so it makes sense in retrospect that there's a lot of overlap in the techniques that are
1: used by scammers and legitimate salespeople. I guess it could also mean that you can end up being an accidental scammer, in a sense, in that you, may, when you're actually doing the marketing and everything, you may think, oh, this is going to work. I've got a great idea. It's going to go awesome. And then things just fall apart and you turn into an accidental scammer. I don't know if you've ever seen the, the documentary on the Fire Festival. Was on yeah, I, I did see that. Yeah. It, that felt like it was a bit of an accidental scam. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. And I think that, of course, for the direct victims of scams, it will be very hard for them to look back on it and say, oh, this is an accident. But but yeah, I think that that happens. I mean, a lot of times people are trying to do things where they don't know how it's going to turn out. And, and it, in retrospect, it's hard to read into their intent right. at the beginning. So yeah, yeah, I think that that does happen.
1: So just, I thought a good place to start might be to quickly recap on what is a scam. I'd be interested to hear if you've got a, a different definition versus what was written in this report. So the report from the University of Exeter says scams are a particular type of fraudulent practice characterized by widely disseminated initial approaches so that you're just throwing things out there. And most of the time, people don't know the perpetrator or the scammer. And the scammer expects a low rate of return on the offer, but is able to make a profit because the approach is low cost. That's interesting. So in terms of defining
0: things, Martina in her book, she attempts to define fraud, not necessarily scams. Okay. And there's not like a strong between general fraud and scams in this framework. And so for her, a fraud is just an act of deception resulting in personal or financial gain. Mm-hmm. And it seems like the report is trying to distinguish scams as being yeah, Like you said, first you contact a whole bunch of people with right. something that might be implausible to 90% or more of them, and you expect a low rate of return, but also putting out that initial blast is very low cost, and therefore there's still a net profit to be made at the end or expected net profit.
1: Exactly. And then some of the examples it gives, bogus lotteries, deceptive prize draws, sweepstakes, fake psychics, uh, miracle health cures foreign money-making, and get-rich-quick schemes. But the thing it does say is that the scam will not work unless the victim makes some kind of response. So it does also say that the victim needs to be proactive in this in, in whatever happens here.
0: Yeah, I think that that part is an interesting distinction because it, it does distinguish it just from other types of crime, right? If, if yeah. somebody just breaks into my house when I'm not there and takes my computer, that's not a scam, per se, didn't participate in it. So that, that is an interesting distinction because it does bring into play all the aspects of the the victim's emotional state and psychology and the actions that they take to the decisions that they make.
1: And OK, and then what? so what are the roles? So you, there's two roles in a scam, assuming it's not like one of these crazy heist films and that you sometimes see where, where you get 20 different roles to play. But two roles, two primary roles, victim. And the report says that the role of the victim is to make an error of judgment and the scammer, the role of the scammer is to create situations that increase likelihood of such errors. It's very, That's very good. clinical, their definition, yeah. but yeah, I like yeah. it. Just before the, this episode, we were talking a little bit about the, the rational actor theory or rational decision maker who always makes the best decision possible in light of the available information. The report does lean on the rational actor or rational decision maker idea, which I think it mentions was first came up in 19th century economic theory. So the idea that you would have someone who would make the best possible decision in light of the available information. So that's your best case. But that's what you use as your best scenario. And any error of judgment is like a deviation from that. But this is not really an area I'm too familiar with. I know it's an area my brother is quite familiar with because... He asked me to write a book called The Rational Man, which was all about someone who tried to live his life as a rational decision maker, which maybe one day I will do, but I I couldn't figure out how to make it work at the time.
0: I I have to imagine that trying to analyze frauds and scams in that framework is a little bit complicated because I think, at least in what I've heard about it or read about it, the issue is like, are you making the right judgment or taking the right decision on the basis of the available information? But I don't know how it fits in, like, what if some of the, the information you have available to you is a misrepresentation? Hmm. In my reading, what I found is that a lot of what fraudsters or scammers do is to plausibly misrepresent the situation, right? And so you might, in some framework, be taking the rational action, but on the basis of bad information. Another way to make an error of judgment is to have the right information and make an irrational decision. But I think it's more often that you're making a rational decision in light of bad information.
1: Isn't that Yeah, I think that that's definitely, yeah, definitely one of the causes. I I don't know if you've ever felt like in in any other aspect of life where you've been, this is not very good information that I'm trying to make a decision based off, but you have to make a decision anyway, and you you just go and do it.
0: So let's take an example, right? So we, we mentioned briefly in one of the previous episodes, the classic Nigerian scam or advanced fee scam. And just as a reminder for the audience, the basic idea here is that someone contacts you saying that they can transfer you a lot of money for some reason or another. And to get there, you have to first transfer them a small amount of money, right? Right. Okay. So, and if that were true, then the rational thing to do would be to transfer them a small amount of money,
1: right? But I'm guessing you also have to... Included in that decision-making framework is the is some evaluation of how good that information is or that that first Communication is right. So I mean the next step, maybe a rational the next step a rational actor may do suppose this was the first ever uh, Nigerian scam, right? So like no one has seen this before and it was the first ever one Maybe the next step would be to ask for some identification Rather than immediately send the money
0: Oh, yeah. No, I, I don't actually think it's a good idea. To, <laughs> <laughs> I was just trying to to point out like the problems of doing a naive analysis on the basis of some rational decision theory, because it really depends on your, your the quality of information and how you judge the quality of information, I guess, depends on all kinds of things, which some of
1: which we might talk about. The reason why I haven't written a book that my brother said would be a book a prize winning idea was, I, it's not even clear to me that two people would agree on on the same rational decision.
0: I think, I think these things only have clear answers in very simplified and artificial circumstances. Exactly. So that's why, that's why this stuff is linked to game theory because games are, the technical definition of a game is something that has very limited scope, very clear rules. Yeah. And then you, you set up some utility function that makes it very clear exactly what the rational decision is.
1: Would be yeah exactly, but it, for in terms of messy life, then I, I don't know. I find it I find it much harder to conceive what a rational decision actually is.
0: Well, I think a lot of the comedy in this hypothetical book of your brothers would be in sort of exactly That's him a- trying to make the reduction to some abstract game, right? Yeah, and failing in all kinds of presumably hilarious
1: ways. Ways that was that was the original idea of how it might go, and it just leads him to to do stuff that is yeah anyway we're, we're off on a tangent but the uh, yeah so that at least that was the framework in which this report was thinking about scamming or, or errors of judgment so the report like i haven't made it all the way through the report i read about half of it but they what they did was in depth interviews with scam victims which were actually very sad to read i'll have to excuse my random giggling sometimes because <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not laughing at the pain these people are suffering
0: so should we should we start with the, the psychology of the fraudsters and the situation of the, yeah, sure. the scammers? Yeah, that's Because I that's think that good. that's maybe, it's a little bit underappreciated. I mean, I'm not an expert in this field by any means, but starting from a place of most people are not themselves fraudsters or scammers, and therefore they're more likely to be on the receiving end of a scam. I think a lot of the popular sympathy is towards the victims of scams naturally, right? But if you think about like what, who are the fraudsters? Who are the scammers? And there's a little bit of discussion in the book that I read about this. And pretty unsurprisingly, I think a major factor in choosing to become a scammer or a fraudster is is desperation of one kind or another. People feel pushed into doing this, because unless you're some thrill seeker or sociopath, getting up and perpetrating a fraud would not be my, my first choice. And so there's very likely some extenuating circumstance behind even the, the choice of participating or, or perpetrating a, a scam.
1: Yeah, I feel like if someone had decent alternative options that they probably wouldn't start scamming people. Uh, I can totally see that as well. I guess the, like it's everybody's version of desperation is is different. so. So like, for instance, if you had a choice between working at McDonald's or scamming people, which one would you take?
0: Well, I would like to think I'd work at McDonald's. Yeah. To me, there's, there's so much risk associated. Well, and maybe this is, maybe that's my misperception because I did read also that prosecution rates for fraudsters are very, very low. But, but I think that there's so much risk, both to your own freedom and your own self-worth that of mind. That committing fraud just seems very very dangerous to me. What would have, have to happen to my life that I woke up in the morning and decided to perpetrate some scam? Something pretty terrible must have happened. I would say it's like that that's my judgment. What about are you what are you trying to say?
1: Well, I, I don't know. You you never know you never know yourself until you find that yourself in those situations, right? So, I tend to try and avoid firmly saying one way or the other what I would do. Yeah. I I yeah. So I don't know what my baseline is. I don't know at what point I would think, okay, fraud is now the most sensible thing to do and an attractive option. Definitely at the moment, fraud does not feel like an attractive option. And like you said, there's so many downsides that it would be be bad, but yeah.
0: I I do think in the modern world, there are some facilitating factors here, certainly. And the fact that you can perpetrate fraud from a very long distance, right, across country borders against people who you probably will never see or meet or even be close to where they live that certainly helps in making it easier to get into fraud i would imagine
1: yeah so the the report does mention that um if you can see people face to face then you tend to have more empathy and you tend to make more pro social decisions and that it's much easier to commit scams and frauds and and not take away damage to your soul that's my own addition there but Yeah, not take that away if you're at a long distance. So I think definitely long distance communications has helped massively for fraudsters to feel better about what they do. Yeah. And then I I also wonder how it goes. I wonder if it's a slippery slope of most people, we've probably, everybody's probably lied a a little bit in their lives, white lies here and there. But I wonder at what point you think, okay, I've lied to some people, I've lied to, to friends, I've lied to family. And if I've lied to them, maybe it's easy to go and just lie to lots of other people. I guess the... The, the the difference is that you're making, you're trying to make money and profit off it in a way that is... Right,
0: right. I mean, that I think that criminal. does seem like a difference to me that you decide to make it your profession. that, that I, I seems like, like pro- a different level.
1: I feel like profession is a good word for it. Like, you don't think that... A lot of these things are industrialized now. Is there any mention in your book of, like, industrialized scamming? No,
0: they, there wasn't. That wasn't
1: part of it. Hmm. Because you do see those videos on YouTube now and then of people who bait those tech support scammers and, and that seems to be pretty industrialized in the way they go about that.
0: As we mentioned at the top, of course, there are two sides to the, to the scam. Uh, what did you learn this week about what makes people vulnerable or what psychological techniques are employed by scammers to get their victims to make their own judgment?
1: So what I got was that, and I've seen this actually personally, was the authority, like perceived authority is really important. And I remember having this conversation with my dad during the pandemic where he told me something really like, so that was clearly misinformation about the pandemic that like he'd, he'd got from a source that I was like, Dan, where did you get, where did you get this information from? And he was like, oh, oh, I got it on WhatsApp. It was a video that was sent to me by WhatsApp. And I was like. right dad let's have a look at the video (laughs) (laughs) video he started playing the video and on there on on the video or something it had like world health organized i can't remember how it was branded but it was branded in a way that would make you think it was authoritative and it really wasn't obviously it was like the editing quality was terrible and, and all those things he thought that it was it was real and purely because it was posing as being an authoritative bit of media so I think that really does matter, I think if people think that this is an official thing, then, yeah, and my own scam I think I did say about my scamming experience in when I got scammed in Russia, and it was by someone I couldn't distinguish if they were a real police officer or if they were not, but I did yeah, not but then they find they did out.
0: they did run away when the bouncers started coming, so that's when I decided that they're probably not, <laughs> yeah. A real yeah, they're probably, yeah, yeah,
1: probably right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: authority definitely figured highly also in, in Martina's analysis of what makes people fall for scams. Interestingly, outside the context of scams, people have different predispositions towards following authority or not. And generally being obedient to authority is considered like a positive attribute for people in a society. But here they made the point that that can make you more vulnerable to falling for scams because scammers do use this trick of posing as authority.
1: Oh yeah, if you if you just believe it too much, yeah, I, I can definitely see see that. So it's what you're saying is it's healthy to have a a bit of to not follow authority to the letter, to the T.
0: Yeah, when you're walking outside the Bolshoi Theater, <laughs>
1: <laughs> retain retain some some amount of independent thought that you can engage if you have yeah, to. Yeah, I'm not
0: saying to run from the cops, but
1: yeah. <laughs> and then the other thing that scammers often do, and that the victims they fall victim to, is this exploitation of human desires and needs and the ones mentioned were greed fear avoidance of physical pain and later on there was some mention of ego as well and then in the ways that and they the sort of like the techniques that scammers might use scarcity cues so make things personal personalized and limited in time time availability i,
0: I mean the, these two examples i think just shows like how much overlap there is with real <laughs> sales techniques right I mean, when you talk about like trying to sell a product, you appeal to all these same primal urges, or you you might consider doing that depending on what the product is. And and also like with, with scarcity, it's not that you're not going to be sent anything in if you respond to the infomercial, but they're still using the technique of like call now within the next 30 minutes. I remember talking to one of my friend who during high school, he, he used to man one of the the phone lines, uh, oh, for really? these infomercials oh, and, cool. and people would call in and say, Oh, did I make it in time? And, and he, he would, he would put in a dramatic pause and say, um, uh, yes, yes, you've made it. <laughs> Come, congratulations. Congratulations. <laughs> and then, but of course it was, I mean, they, they would have taken people's money at any point in time. Right. I mean, those, <laughs> it's a false scarcity that's being put in place there.
1: Oh, I that, I that see. I can imagine that job being quite fun. You're acting up in for, not for yourself, but like and it's allowed by a company. Yeah, interesting. Something I found quite insightful was induction of behavioral commitment. So that's getting small steps of compliance from people. So you get them to say yes to small things and eventually they say yes to big things. And that made me think about cults, which was also mentioned by my partner. She was saying that scams can often turn to cults, or she was asking me if if I thought that was the case. And I think that probably Is the case, but I was also thinking that you need a different level of sociopathy to actually do that.
0: This is yet another example of people's own traits being turned against them. Because in general, you like people to follow through and to do what they say they're going to do, and so yeah, here the scammer is just slowly amping things up to get people to do more and more things that are putting themselves on the line, but. But somehow that history of complying with requests makes people more likely to continue to do so.
1: And I guess also the the fact that you've got a relationship, it makes you feel like you're building a relationship with your scammer. Yep. And uh, yeah, that has some value value or some power then too. Something else that was mentioned was much bigger reward than the cost of trying to obtain it, where they, they mentioned the term phantom fixation. So we're, what they're really trying to do is offer life-changing money for small amounts. So you think, well, even if I lose the small amount, it doesn't matter because the potential price is massive.
0: Yeah. And what I read is that you know, there are documented cases of people being aware at some point before they commit that this is likely or possibly a scam. And still making, you know, as a gamble and deciding to go through with it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely, that was definitely some of the, some of the findings here. Uh, so I mentioned earlier that the, well, actually this report does have some quotes from people who, who fell for scams. And, and one of them was like, at least I've tried it and I won't keep thinking this will be a good way to earn money. They they paid for a lesson. Yeah, exactly. You paid for a lesson, which possibly had a great outcome, but it didn't in the end. Yeah. So they were just, just finding out. And then the last one I've got is scam victims report being less able to regulate and resist emotions associated with scam offers. So people who can really be persuaded or just trust people that they shouldn't be trusting.
0: Additional one that I resonated with me because it, it actually came up earlier in the season was liking and similarity. Mm. And so if you recall, we talked about the priest, I believe it was, who came in from out of town and was pretending to be part of the same group yeah. and then went to the jeweler and got away with got the diamonds. diamonds yeah yeah and so you know there's one of the most famous fraudsters or scammers is Frank Abagnale who has reformed himself and become an author on the topic of scams after leading a very fraudulent life for for a time and he calls these affinity groups mm. so basically they're people close-knit groups that you know if you're part of that group you're just naturally trusted by other other keep members the of the group. Yeah. And so that, that's just plays right in the hands of scammers who can get in with these groups and then exploit that, that trusting behavior of the other people within the group.
1: Mm, I like that affinity groups. Okay. And then there were some surprising findings. So scam victims tend to keep their decision to respond private. Well, maybe this isn't so surprising because there's some embarrassment in there, but that also means that as you're being scammed, you know, there's something wrong about what's happening. You don't want to share it. This is another
0: variant on a scam, apparently, which is the scammer will tell the person that the reason why it's possible for them to get such a good deal is that mm. I'm doing something illegal. Now, this is really tricky, right? Because now you think you're getting in on a good deal because this person is doing something illegal. Yeah. Then you you get scammed. So technically, they weren't lying. What they were doing is illegal. <laughs> But now if you want to go and like give the full explanation to the authorities, you have to tell them, you know, the authorities ask you, oh, well, why did you even believe that you could get this much money? Well, he told me (laughs) he was doing something illegal. And so I was going to get a really good deal. It's weird. And so then that's obviously going to suppress the reporting to the authorities. So, I I mean, again, you just have to hand it to these people
1: in terms of their ingenuity. Right. Because they're trying to make this, like they're trying to make the sales pitch more plausible by saying, yeah. They're doing something illegal. (laughs) Cool. Something else that another surprising finding here was that scam victims often have better than average background knowledge in the area of scam content. And I was wondering whether this was a Dunning-Kruger effect situation. This is an example of, so in, there are many,
0: many things that have been studied in terms of what can make people vulnerable to scams. And, And not surprisingly, some studies suggest that there's an effect in one direction and some suggest there's an effect in another direction. So in my reading, this was held up as an example of, you know, it can go both ways. So people who are very familiar with the way investments work apparently are unlikely to fall for investment scams because what they, the purported returns are very implausible given their background knowledge. But, but they also did mention that sometimes that can work against people because they become overconfident in their knowledge of the situation and therefore are more likely to to fall for the scam.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then another surprising finding was the long odds gamble, which is what we've already discussed, the idea that scam victim victims know they're being scammed, but they're gonna do it anyway. Because it just seems like a the, the chance is so great that they don't want to pass it up. It's it's weird that one, because actually the chance isn't great at all. The chance has always been zero. <laughs> But somehow you're persuaded to believe that the the chance is great. To
0: give some credit to the the victims. I mean, good opportunities of various kinds do come along every once in a while. Yeah. Which is why it's hard to rule out sometimes, even if something seems very implausible. People do get very
1: lucky sometimes. I think you can see that with the whole, all the people who made like billions out of Bitcoin or millions out of Bitcoin. And... It's probably made people go into cryptocurrencies a lot more indiscriminately than they possibly should have done. Yeah. Yeah. So that's some of the the takeaways from the report. Was there any was there any mention of key motivations? Like what what are the motivations that that scammers are preying on from people? Well, we did I talk
0: talk about those basic visceral influences or primal drives, right? That's that's a lot of it. Yeah. Uh, and she did have a few more in terms of like people's personalities or aspects of their personality that might make them vulnerable. So a tendency towards impulsivity and lack of self-control is obviously not good if you're faced with a limited time offer, right? Then you're more likely to fall for, for that scam. On the flip side of that are people who, again, like even independent of any scamming situation, simply have a preference for making delayed decisions. So again, everything has two sides because. Some roles might require you to be able to make decisions quickly, and that might be a very highly valued skill. On the other hand, delayed decision-making might be seen as an impediment to working in some fast-moving role. But on the other hand, if you're just talking about the susceptibility to scams, delayed decision-making is going to help protect you against falling for some forms of scam, many of which are playing on this sense of urgency or scarcity.
1: I wonder if you could. You can market scam. presumably they think maybe a little bit about the demographics or the people that they're going after and target them. I'm not sure. Well, maybe they don't because it's the, the report does say you're just throwing that scammers tend to throw things out there in, in big numbers and see what comes back. But I guess in the way you word things in your communication that you, you potentially are trying to find a certain type of people. So maybe there's a gap in the market there for a scam for people who make delayed decisions. you if you can find the right <laughs> the right way to communicate it say so you're going to make a lot of money over a very
0: long period of time
1: <laughs> yeah exactly. or something like that just take your time with this decision there's there's no rush at all
0: i think yeah. like the diversity of susceptibilities also accounts for the diversity of the scamming techniques so another another aspect is um, two different kinds of techniques that scammers can use which is either to employ flattery or intimidation and sometimes people who are easily flattered may not be easily intimidated and, and likewise people who are easily intimidated might not be easily flattered but these can both be employed for the benefit of the scammers and so I think like if you just run a huge campaign of flattery and intimidation both two separate campaigns one that employs flattery and one that employs intimidation you're just hoping to be able to hit each group in succession. <laughs>
1: A couple of other things that came out through like motivation was the trying to, and I think this was, came up last week, which were related to the, the cancer scams, which was trying to generate a feeling of pity in the people you're going after. And this could be in relation to political or natural or personal disasters like the cancer. So that's one avenue as well. And the other thing is like the the, the report spoke a little bit, or a reference to paper that looked at the Nigerian scam letters and found that they evoked feelings of greed charity and heroism and i found the heroism one well, a bit funny because yeah like it makes you feel good about yourself when you're trying to help this poor nigerian prince who's trapped away from his money and you feel like you're saving them some way yeah
0: i think i already told you about my favorite version of this right which is the the nigerian astronaut Oh, stranded yeah. in space. <laughs> would you? Is that uh, one that
1: you would fall prey to, Nick?
0: Well, I might send this person some money just for their creativity. <laughs> but I mean, again, not funny for the people who actually fall victim to these things. But interestingly, the, the, what was pointed out about that in what I read was that, of course, that sounds totally ridiculous. Why a Nigerian astronaut stuck in space? How are you even going to send them money like into space? It right? doesn't sound plausible at all. But The implausibility apparently serves a purpose in itself, which is that it can help to identify the most gullible people. And then the information for those people can then be passed on to other fraud schemes with the intent of repeat victimization. So just really devious stuff.
1: Devious and ingenious, I will (laughs) say. But they definitely know that niche market as well. I wonder who they're they're targeting there. Okay, so I think that's where I got to on the report. There were some other sections about, well, what actions can be taken to to protect people from scams. Did the book mention the, bu- the book you read mention any of this?
0: Actually, I think that, that that will be a good fit for a follow-up episode because the last few chapters are focused on theories and models that explain why victims fall for scams and then also some learning to spot scam techniques and a checklist for evaluating offers if you get something that might, might be too good to be true.
1: On the subject of checklists, I was actually just doing something the other day, financial-related, and along with the forms that I got they also provided me a scam check checklist and it was you had to check yes and no to the the various questions and send it back along with the forms so that they could evaluate whether you were being scammed or not so I thought that was that was quite never seen one of those before and it was quite relevant and
0: that that's one aspect very very simple aspect that I guess we didn't cover about what makes people susceptible to scams is simple awareness right yeah and so that that's why I'm Declaring this episode of the Wild Truth Chase podcast, a public service announcement, (laughs) raising awareness to all of our many listeners so that they may be scammed less.
1: And if you want to protect yourself further, then listen to next week's episode too. Absolutely. All right, Nick, have you got anything else for us today? No, just that
0: next week's episode will only be up for a limited time. So get it while you can.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And it will make you more heroic in your life. (laughs) Cool. Well, that's
0: been fun. Thanks for taking me through this and we'll see you all next week on the Wild Truth Chase
1: podcast. As always, Nick, it was my pleasure. See you everyone. Hello? Hello? Uh, hello? Is that Nicholas? Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. This is Air Force Major Abacha Tunde. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Um, I, I have made it. I have returned to Earth. Thank you, you very much for your assistance.
0: You're, you're welcome. You're welcome. So my understanding was that you're now going to transfer me a bunch of
1: money. Is that right? You will be a very rich man, Nicholas. You were the only person who had faith in my plight. And I appreciate your efforts.
0: Well, you know, you know, thanks for reaching out. I'm, I'm happy to help. If you happen to be stuck in space again in the future, let me know. And, uh, you know, I'll be happy to, uh, to help you out again.
1: Space is risky business. I shall keep you on speed dial.